Let us pray. God, we are restless for your justice, your presence, your shalom. We wait with great expectation for the coming of your son. Do not let us become satisfied with partial solutions, but rather let us continue to hope for and work for a redeemed creation. Amen. Today is the second Sunday in Advent. We just lit two candles to mark the journey toward the manger and our hope that the one we call Lord of all will be born anew in the world and in our hearts. Advent is the beginning of the church year, a time to begin again, to commit, to repent, to turn our lives and our hearts to God. Today's reading is from the very beginning of Mark, that same passage we looked at last week in the forum. You'll remember that Mark's writing is the earliest of the four canonical Gospels. He starts, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is telling us a story. The story of Jesus Christ, whom Mark names right in the first line, as the Son of God. The beginning of the story immediately refers to words from the prophets Isaiah and Malachi, with a little Exodus thrown in, too. See, I am sending my messenger ahead. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. These are textual references that his listeners would have understood. They would have heard one little line and then remembered the whole reference, the whole story from those prophets. Then Mark introduces John the baptizer, and he says, he's that messenger. John then announces, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. So John points forward to Jesus. The story begins not with Jesus' birth. Mark crafts his story by reminding us that any story begins in the past and involves people and events from the past which shape the present even as we start to look forward. Think for a moment about your own story, your own family. There is always, for good or for ill, People and events which have profoundly influenced and impacted your life. As much as we may resist this idea, because we like to think of ourselves as free agents, right? As independent actors in charge of our own decisions. There are, in fact, family systems and patterns from which we cannot easily escape. These systems sometimes Abusive, or illnesses, or expectations, financial circumstances, and other factors, these things profoundly affect who we are and what we are able to do with our lives. Our history shapes us. Memories and events, people and stories affect how we see the world and understand ourselves. We have ways of dealing with this reality, some healthier and more helpful than others, to be sure. 
therapy, 12-step groups, exercise, meditation, prayer, giving back to others. All these things are tools of managing the stresses and the gifts of our complicated lives with our families in our own particular circumstances. I'm a big believer in all these things, and even the others I have not thought of or named. And we are blessed, all of us, to live in a time and in a place where resources are widely available when we want to work on the things in our lives that are painful. And Trinity Church has its story and its history, which I'm just beginning to learn the tiniest little bits about. And I have my story and all of the stuff that made me who I am to stand here before you today. And no doubt, as those stories intersect, it's not always going to go smoothly. So luckily for you, I believe in therapy and prayer. Okay? All will be well. The church, church with a capital C, also embraces another word, which doesn't make our Episcopal list quite as quickly or easily. In today's Gospel from Mark, hear it again. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Repentance. In Matthew's version of this story, he has John say the words much more urgently in the imperative. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. In the Greek, the word is metanoia, to change one's mind, to see something new, to confess to the old and be changed. Our faith tells us that our sins, the things we do and have done to hurt others and ourselves, can be forgiven. The patterns and systems of which we are complicit can begin to be healed and transformed by naming them and repenting. The trespasses of others against us, these too can begin to be healed and transformed when we repent and forgive others when we open our hearts and our minds to see others as just like us, frail human creatures in need of repentance and forgiveness. When we allow our minds to be changed, to be made new, trusting in God's promise that we are forgiven when we repent and when we forgive others, we're free. Free to have hope. Hope for the future John proclaims to those who came to him to be baptized. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Advent is primarily a season of repentance and hope. But repentance is not just about words. Action is required. Not only are we people caught in our family stories and systems, but as a community and as a nation, we are complicit in systems which oppress people of different races, people of different faiths, people who suffer hunger, poverty, and discrimination. The clay feet of our elected leaders are revealed daily in the news. Sexual harassment, greed, and arrogance are seemingly everywhere, and it is distressing. I feel powerless most of the time to do anything to change the direction we seem to be moving in our common life as a nation. So I am actually comforted today with John's reminder that we need to repent. We need to repent with our words and with our actions. We've been given this gift of repentance and forgiveness, which leads to hope. As people of faith, we know there is forgiveness, and we know there is a call to embodied action. And we know that because Jesus came to us as a person, as a real person, in a real body. So we know that our ministries also involve our actual selves, our actual bodies. We also know that our Lord is coming back to judge the living and the dead. So even if we're already dead when he comes back, we still will stand before the judgment seat. We know from the prophet Isaiah that a straight path is being made through the wilderness, a highway for our God. Uneven ground will be made level and the rough places a flat plain. I think you can envision that literally as well as metaphorically. God will arrive triumphant, the glory of the Lord revealed to all. A king and a shepherd. What will he find when he arrives in glory? This is the season where we pay attention to that question. The advent of the Lord is coming. His reign is near and when he comes there will be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Robert didn't know I was going to say that, but he read that line so beautifully, where righteousness is at home. What would it look like for Christ to come again and see this righteousness here, already home? What would it look like if we changed our minds, repented, of the systematic racism on which this country was founded and which continues to stain our hopes for a country of equal opportunity and equal justice for all people. What would it 
might look like if we took seriously the command to care for the poor so that no child went to bed hungry, sleeping on a cardboard box on a winter night. What would it look like if we said no more to the inflammatory hate speech and tweets about our Muslim and Jewish sisters and brothers? And those people who risked their lives to bring their families to our country with the same hopes for safety and a good life that we all have. What would it look like if we just figured out how to live together? Repent, for the kingdom of God draws near. Perhaps while we are waiting, we can begin to make that road straight, make that ground even, level, an open vista of hope and welcome. I've seen signs of it happening already. On Monday morning, I was at a breakfast of the Concord Carlisle Human Rights Council. Many of you were there, many of our neighbors here in Concord and Carlisle. I learned a lot about Concord being a welcoming community and about some of the issues in our community that many good folks are working on. The MANA program, we feed people on the third Monday downtown in Boston. I know that we have an opportunity to do a new project for a bed for every child, which is coming in the spring. You'll have a chance to hear more about that. So we're doing it. We're starting. We're moving some of those rocks and some of those hills and some of that dirt that gets in the way of people having a smooth life, a good life. So let's keep doing it. Let us make the road straight. Let us welcome Christ as truly holy people, people who love one another, who see one another as fully human with the divine spark in each one. This story that we're living in right now in our time, this story of racism and intolerance and greed and sexual predation by the powerful, this story is not over if we choose to write a different ending. John the Baptist tells us the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. John's pointing ahead, pointing to the future, pointing beyond himself to Christ, to the powerful, humble Savior, to the one whose life, death, and resurrection saves us. That story is not over either. We will be redeemed in the end. But as our epistle writer tells us, while we are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish. Now me, without division, without racism, without poverty, without violence, without prejudice, without injustice. 
We can regard the patience of our Lord, the time that we're waiting for his coming, that patience, his patience, that's for us. So we have time to heal these things. That is the hope of our salvation. Amen.